Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Black Black, 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 black. on my show in the past who have had an extremist sort of origin story and have decided that they wanted to turn their back on the scene that sort of helped them identify who they were as a person and sort of turn the page on that and um, become kind of the complete opposite of what they were when they were still engaged in, I guess, hatred would be the best way to put it and today and this i love it when this happens uh this has happened probably with a half dozen guests out of the 150 something episodes that i've done with blackball where i'll be on a random twitter thread and someone will just post hey james you should look into having this guy on the show and nine times out of ten when that happens i I, i'll contact that person and book them for that day and that is the case with my guest today i read the article that someone had sent me. Um, it's from the Tampa Bay Times. The headline says, former former Florida white nationalist reckons with his past in America's present. And it was a really interesting article. It, it, it you know, it, it was a warts and all sort of article describing what this person was like beforehand and what they're trying to do with their life right now. And his name is Scott Ernest. Scott, how are you, buddy? I'm doing pretty good. Huh? How are you doing today? I'm doing well. Thank you. Thank you for coming. I appreciate it. It was a total um, shot in the dark and it was a last minute request. So I appreciate the time. It's my pleasure. I'm I'm not the best public speaker in the world or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I if, if I can help people with you know what I have to say, then I'm always willing to say it. If you can um, just sort of uh, raise your voice a little bit when 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 you talk, that'd be kind of better because uh, I am having trouble kind of hearing what you're saying the volume is just a little low but we'll, we'll deal with that as it comes but um so I, I read the article i thought the article was really interesting because it didn't pull any punches so can you give me an idea there there's a there's a picture of you in the article that i haven't uh that i didn't load but um and it's you know you're you're holding a gun and you kind of look like a little bit angry uh and everything and um i, I was wondering if you could sort of go back to how old you were when you sort of first started um you know, posting on Stormfront and and sort of acting as a, like almost like a recruiter of hate, and just and just bring me back to that so that we can sort of set up your redemption story, if you will. 
Well, the the way I ended up first getting involved in Stormfront at all was uh, just one night. It was 2004, uh, around December, uh, maybe even November. And uh, I was just searching the web and I came across a blog where it was a person who was attacking uh, two 12 year old girls. And uh, those girls were the they're known for Prussian blue, Langston Lamb uh, Gady. And, uh, you know, I that kind of I, I, I'd never seen that sort of thing before. So I actually contacted the authorities. The authorities kind of shrugged it off, but they recommended I let the parents know. So I contacted uh, their parents, and uh, that their their mother turned out to be April Gady, who is a very well-known white nationalist. And I, I ended up you know talking to them and getting to know them. And in my mind, especially at first, I felt well these you know these people aren't as bad as people say they are. And and, it, and the the rabbit hole just went from there. Uh, I was it was recommended that I join Stormfront, so I did right after and uh from there it's easy to start you know you start meeting these people they don't seem that bad from while you're while you're talking to them and you start kind of picking up parts of their uh, ideology and eventually over time uh i ended up a stormfront moderator uh well facilitator technically i was a moderator but i didn't have the ability to ban anybody uh uh, my how job you, was to create. Sorry, how, how do you get banned from Stormfront? Uh, back in the day, they used to have rules against being, uh, you know, violence, uh, you know, any sort of promotion of violence or any sort of, even if you had a swastika in your uh, your your uh, avatar or if you had, say, 1488 in your username, you could get banned for that if you didn't remove it hmm. when they asked. Uh, or if, if you said something, the, one of the main uh, rules was if you said anything that was against the law of any, you know, uh, basically any white nation, uh, as they would say. And so, yeah, people people would get banned. Uh, and uh, it, when I became a mod, a lot of them blamed me for that, even though I didn't have the ability to ban anybody. Hmm. Uh but uh, so I became a Stormfront moderator. I also ended up moving up to uh, Montana, which was where April was. And I started recruiting for a group called Pioneer, Pioneer Little Europe Kalispell in uh, Northwest Montana. And I became fairly well known for that. And eventually, it, when, when you start doing things like uh, moderating those type of websites and you start uh, recruiting for a hate group like that, and you, and you meet the worst of the worst people and you, you yourself are trying to not be the worst of the worst, uh, it, it's pretty easy to then just start getting disgusted with yourself and the path that you're on and the people that you're around. And Did you find that, like, was most of your sort of vitriolic behavior in the online world or did you go to protests or anything like that? Were you at any Proud Boy protests or anything? Or I did my best to not be very vitriolic. I, I was not active protesting. Uh, I went with when it came to the PLE, for example, I tended to be like, come here, we're going to go have fun. We're going to go hiking in Glacier National Park as a group. We're going to go to these festivals as a group. Uh, there were there were people that would come to the PLE just to be just to do things like protest when things happen in the area. But I tended to avoid that. I tended to avoid recruiting people like that. But I'm not saying that I was better than any of them because what I did really well was normalized it 
You know, I could I could go around Montana and talk to anybody about white nationalist topics, and generally, I, I was the way I was. I didn't really get much pushback, uh, and so I norm, normalized things. So I wasn't I wouldn't have been ever been one of the ones that would go say protest a, a, a drag uh, show or something like that. That wouldn't have been my style, I guess you would say. Okay. Um, the, the, it was, it was interesting when I read in the article that, and, and, and the part that you just mentioned about those two little girls, I remember that story. I remember, um, um, Prussian blue. That's what they were called. Right. That's and not- they would, um, I don't remember the names of the songs, but it was like, you know, Hitler is my daddy, that kind of stuff. Like it was pretty, pretty intense stuff. And I remember thinking to myself at the time that it was almost like it was borderline child abuse to sort of allow kids to sort of, blossom in a sort of uh, garden of hatred like that like you know it wasn't like they were dog whistling their lyrics it was it was straight up racism wasn't it 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 was it absolutely was uh and it was something that the girls themselves got sick of and eventually you know quit and you know they they left the movement before i did uh the their younger daughter or their younger sister uh was actually never even raised like that i you know uh, for whatever flaws that, uh, you know, April, you know, has, uh, she did by and large end up letting her kids decide for themselves who they wanted to be and how they wanted to be. Uh, and, you know, and, you know, it, a lot of people would never give April or even me credit for things, but, uh, you know, she deserves some credit for that. You know, she could have very well took, taken the route that a lot of parents do and say, no, this is what you're going to do. You're going to you're 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 not going to go to this public school and hang out with those those people. You know, she she let them eventually go and be who they wanted to be. Yeah. Um, are they dating rappers now? Because that would be kind of cool. Uh, they're uh, the last I heard. No, they they're 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 dating. Uh, you know, uh, one of them just had another kid. Uh, you know, they're 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 doing well from the last I heard. Uh. I, I talk to April occasionally still. She she knows my path now and everything like that. She pretty much accepts it. I you know, I I, I think she pretty much ignores it whenever she talks to me. But yeah. because I was a friend of the family so long she tolerates it. I, I find it this is what I find interesting. Okay. Um there are there are a lot of people that believe that the best way to go about dealing with uh, people who sort of practice hate in society is to uh, point at them and yell at the top of their lungs, Nazi and this and that. And while I understand the frustration and the, the emotion behind dealing with uh, people who traffic in hate like that, there really isn't, that isn't a solution to solve the actual problem of hatred, is it? My uh, my position on this is complicated. Uh, yes, it makes it, it sometimes doesn't help, and it does when it when you got somebody like me that you know I one of the things that I try to do is I try to help people exit that life, and it can make my job harder to do with that. It can also make it harder for those of us that have left. Uh, you know, I I've never experienced it myself because whatever reason uh no you very rarely have i had much pushback uh but you know others that have left the movement you know will have sometimes had pushback 
and, you know, you were what you were, and, you know, we're going to always hate you and this, you know, this and that like that. And uh, so it, it doesn't sometimes help. That being said, most people that are in the movement are not likely to exit and calling out their behavior and their beliefs is something that I do approve of. Uh, I, I don't I think there should be consequences for actions. Uh, I do believe in even deplatforming. Uh, I, I don't believe in deplatforming necessarily everybody, but I do I do believe in deplatforming uh, the uh, you know sort of gateways. Uh, you know I my my degree that I, I, I got in the last five years uh, is in public health and my so my specialty is infection control. And when you when you get down to it, hate, uh, white nationalism, uh, Christian nationalism, all of them, uh, they're they're an infection. They're an, they're like in a very addictive. Uh, it's like an addictive cult that spreads like an infection. You have you have the vectors that go out uh, from the reservoirs, and it spreads the infection among the populace. So how do you how do you what's one way you stop that? Mosquito is a is a uh, is a uh, vector, so you get rid of the mosquitoes, you know, and that that means you don't necessarily have to go after everybody else, but you get rid of those mosquitoes that are spreading it. So, uh, so my view, uh, especially on deplatforming de and and calling people out, is pretty complicated. What what is your definition of deplatforming? Uh. From from like from platforms like uh, from Twitter or you know stuff. If somebody says something that is uh, spreading those ideologies, I do believe that you know it should be something that can be squashed by whatever company doesn't want to be associated with it. The government, I would oppose squashing it, but you know freedom of association is something I, I believe in. I am by and large uh, a libertarian. Uh, you know, and, and, you know, as a libertarian, I wouldn't want to be forced to, you know, necessarily uh, host somebody on a, on a, on a website or uh, that I own that I don't want to be associated with, um, that sort of thing. But again, it's, it's complicated. I, I don't believe in everybody having, having to be deplatformed. But if somebody's got a large enough audience and they're spreading really dangerous ideas and really dangerous, not even not dangerous ideas, but but actually spreading things that are actually dangerous, right? You know, that are actually harming lives. Uh, you know, I, I could I could bring up examples, uh, but uh, you know, I don't know whether this is the best place to do that. But there are okay, definitely just people give me out a, there that just to let you know, just if I can interject for a second, I, um, I have. Um... The only rule that I have as far as my podcast goes is that everyone just speaks freely. Um, I, I, I don't I don't consider I, I, it might surprise you it might not surprise you to know that um, even though I just announced that you were going to be on the show about an hour and a half ago or two hours ago, whenever that was, um, I've already gotten two emails saying, why are you platforming this uh, former white nationalist? And how do you know he's a former white nationalist? And my response to these people is always the same thing. Please fuck off. Because I, 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 I'm strongly in the camp of 
I, I don't consider what I'm doing platforming. I consider what I'm doing interviewing. And we used to interview terrorists and receive um, Pulitzers for interviewing terrorists. Um, I don't consider you a terrorist, but uh, I consider your story compelling enough for me to have you on the show. And I would rather hear from you than than oh. say that you're not allowed on the show. So you can you can talk about anything you want and use any example you want, please. And I and I do agree. I, I mean, I've seen some of your your prior guests, and obviously some of them are not exactly my favorite type of people. Uh, very can close to what I used to be, uh, Megan. Who, who, uh, yeah. Um, but what I was going to say was Matt Walsh and lives at TikTok. They've actually caused actual harm and stuff like that. So people like them, I do believe, should be able to be deplatformed from social media or any place where they can keep causing that type of harm. Now, that's not to say for Ben Shapiro, I wouldn't say deplatform someone like Ben Shapiro because while I would consider him a gateway into far right extremism, that there's less of an issue with someone like Ben Shapiro than somebody causing real harm like Matt Walsh. So that's my take. It's it, like I said, it's, it's complicated. See, Matt Walsh is one of those guys. He, 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 he does go too far. Um, be, I thought, but I think uh, what he does is he spoils his own argument by going too far. Um, and, and just, just to sort of like pick at that scab for a second. Um, I don't think that that uh, gender theory is a closed debate where everything's been settled and that's it. I, I, and, I, and that doesn't mean, and, and here's the problem with certain debate topics. Just me saying that, a whole bunch of people just went like this, oh, transphobe, without even actually hearing what, what I mean. And, and, and the, the problem that I have with, with some of these debates is that we've taken the N-word rule, which I think is a good rule, which is that only black people should be able to use the N-word and it doesn't make sense for anybody else to use it. I agree with that. I think that society has organically come to the conclusion that that is a fucking horrendous, egregious thing to, to call somebody. And that if you are a black person, you have a pass to use it in any way that you want because it you own it. And, 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 and taking ownership of a word that used to be branded on you without your consent to me is a success story in how our society evolves um but people have taken the principle of the certainty of that n-word rule and have pasted it onto these other subjects and i think it's causing a lot of issues and i'll, I'll just give you a quick example because i think we probably differ on this i don't agree with megan murphy saying that trans people don't exist i just don't agree with that um, but I don't also agree with the idea that there are dozens of genders, and I don't agree with the idea that um, that self-ID um, doesn't have negative ancillary impacts on society. Now, we are so all or nothing these days that it feels like me just saying that, that people will not listen to any of the nuance that I just tried to give it, and they will just be like, transphobe. And, and I think that that is a, um, a symptom of us placing the N-word rule, the certainty of that N-word rule, onto things like gender theory. What would you say to that? Well, I, what I can say is I don't think just disagreeing should get somebody to deplatform. But when you have you know Matt Walsh and Libs of TikTok causing things like bomb threats and stuff, that's where the problem lies for me. Uh, there's, there, there's a big difference between talk, 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 and talking – and having your, your the people that follow you do based on your talk, you know, nothing you're saying is causing anybody to 
uh, threaten to harm anybody. Nothing Megan Murphy even says is out there trying to cause people harm. So something like that. But some of these people that are actively uh, try, trying to cause harm are people that should be deplatformed. Another example I'll use is, and, is Andrew Englund, who recently came back to Twitter. Uh, he's somebody who has actively tried to cause harm. And I don't say this as somebody that uh, has obviously uh, run into England uh, and uh, had the pleasure of listening to, to him cry on the phone. Uh, I, I say this as somebody that understands the harm that can cause from allowing stochastic terrorism. You know, I, I was around terrorists. I've known mass murderers. You know, I, I was a Facebook friend with Anders Breivik. I know how these things go. It, it, it's, you know, so there's You were di- Facebook big friends with me. the with the dude that killed, uh, what was it, 96 people or whatever it was? Yeah. Uh, when I when I knew him, this was before that happened. He, he had a, a Facebook uh, account uh, under the name Andrew Berwick, which is the anglicized version of his name. I uh, when when he actually did uh, uh, his uh, mass murder, that's when I figured out who that was. So, uh, yeah, and you actually, I believe this was from the Tampa Bay Times article, I think, um, uh, or maybe it was a Twitter thread I saw you in. Uh, but anyway, you had a moment, you said, I think it was when you were on Stormfront where someone was like, um, he's my hero because he killed commies. And you were like, ugh. I mean, that, it was not just him. It was, it was a lot of people. When I was a moderator, the things that I saw people support, uh, you know, that... Uh, Stormfront at the time tried to keep things clean so that they could hide the worst excesses of the white nationalist movement. And I got to see everything before they got banned. Uh, plus, when I when I when I was recruiting people for the PLE, one of the questions I would always ask, especially after uh, uh, Brevik, was, "Do you support what Brevik did?" And people would every single time they would tell me uh, he was killing commies. I would be like, "He was killing children." You know, even assuming there were commies, children can grow out of whatever. You know, it's not like them being a commie at, you know, 12 or 13 or 14, that they're going to be a communist their entire life. You know, uh, so, I, you know, I would push back on that. And that was a constant occurrence. And that, that's one of the things that led me to eventually uh, that and knowing so many mass murderers is what eventually led me to disengage from the movement. I didn't, and I, when I left, I didn't change immediately. I, 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 I wanted to just leave the movement, be quiet, and just live my life. Uh, and then, of course, uh, Andrew Anglin did his stupid little whitefish troll storm uh, where he was attacking the Gersh family in Whitefish, Montana. And, uh, you know, I, he, one of the things he did was he made a page about their 12-year-old kid. And... I objected to that, so I contacted Cloudflare to try to get that particular page down, and Cloudflare gave uh, Andrew England my personal information said, you guys duke it out, and so I I ended up getting that, like I said, call from uh, Andrew where he was crying on the phone, why are you trying to get my page taken down, I'm making my millions and millions of followers after you, it's like, do it. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I was involved in the white nationalist movement for 11 years uh, by that time. You know, I earned any any anger from people that, that would happen. So it's like, do it. And yeah. uh, he did. And I got about, I'd say, 12 to 15 whiny little emails. And that's about it. 
Uh, now, that's not to say that there weren't people that got worse than me in that. Uh, you know, uh, the Gersh family still gets hate mail from, from white nationalists, but it didn't really last very long for me. Yeah, what's interesting is that, because um, I, I, I've been... Um, I've been writing for about 20 years as a freelance writer. And um, I guess my shtick or my, um, uh, my, my sort of identity as a writer has been, um, I really don't like the left or right boxes. And I try to do everything that I can to not be branded as either. And what ends up happening is that you write one article on Monday and the left hates you. And then you write an article on Wednesday and the right hates you. And I kind of like it like that because I, you know, I, I think that we should be more nuanced anyways, but I've only really received death threats from the left. I, no matter how many times I pissed off the right, which is a lot, all of my death threats <laughs> come from the left, uh, which is weird because see, I, I know see, that I'm the violence... opposite. What's that? I'm the opposite. I was yeah. even getting death threats from the right when I was on the right. So, right. Yeah. Yeah, no, I know. And I'm not trying to suggest that the left is more violent. I just think it's interesting that um, I think sometimes when you are seen, like I was writing for Huffington Post at the time, which is obviously seen as a progressive publication. So I think that when you are part of the of an ecosystem that sort of waves a flag for one ideology or the other, and you betray that ideology, that the blowback is worse than if you are a person that's technically on the left and you uh, criticize the right. I think the right wingers just, or the far right people, I think probably just expect that from you. So they don't get as like worked up about it. But when you are seen to be betraying your own people, I think that's when they really get violent, no matter if it's the left or the right. Yeah, I, I try to, uh, you know, I, I tend to be a little bit, you know, I, I'm still right wing in some ways. I, and, and I also have a progressive streak that's, that's been increasing. But in general, I'm still very center, uh, even center right in some ways. But, uh, you know, right now, because of the situation with right wing extremism, just going batshit crazy right now, uh, I definitely do tend to side with the left far more than the right. And that's not to say that that there aren't some problems with the left, you know, you know, the organization organization I, I co-founded, Hands of Air, uh, my co-founder is very much somebody that's of the uh, of the uh, opinion that uh, focusing too much on the right is not going to do anybody any good. And, you know, I don't disagree with uh, Vicky, my co-founder at all, uh, but I tend to focus a little bit more on the right because that's what I used to be. So when I when Can... I try to fight it, that's what I try to fight. Hi, I'm Steve Yurko. And I'm Tara Sands. Now available from Maji Media is our new podcast, Four Kids Flashback. Four Kids is the company who brought you the English dub of Pokemon in the late 90s and so many other shows like Yu-Gi-Oh!, Shaman King, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Kirby, the infamous One Piece dub, and so many more. We'll be talking to the people who worked at 4Kids. Actors, directors, writers, editors, producers, engineers, you get the point. And hopefully get the answers to questions both you and I have about the company. I actually worked there as a voice actor on some of the shows. And I was a kid watching the shows and remember way more than Tara does. And thank God for that. Steve is actually a professional storyboard artist, which gives some really unique insights into anime and animation. Subscribe today wherever you get your podcasts. That's the number four kids flashback. Can you give me um, 
the sort of uh, the tipping point of when you decided, okay, I'm, that's it. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not a white nationalist anymore. W was it gradual or was there a moment where you're like, fuck this? It was gradual, but the the very end was pretty abrupt. So uh, I, I mentioned Anders Breivik. Anders Breivik was kind of the first time I thought to myself, what am I doing? Uh, what am I, what type, kind of person am I? What am I involved with? with? That was kind of my first time with that. Uh, then there were more and more and more uh, mass murders and other political violence. And then meeting all those people uh, doing the recruiting as well as uh, as a Stormfront mod. And over the years, I just kind of got more and more fed up with, with white nationalists. Uh, eventually, uh, a man named... Uh, David Lenio decided to come to Montana and be a part of the PLE. Well, uh, we, I didn't the PLE? him. Uh, Pioneer Little Europe, the uh, the organization that I the, well, not organization, it wasn't an uh, organization, but it was the group that I was recruiting for. Uh, that okay. was that was led by April Gady. Um, sorry, cat. That's okay. Uh, uh, and he he came he came to the area to be a part of our our little community. And the way, what a PLE is, is it's sort of a concept, uh, you know, the ethnostate concept. You you move to a particular area, you start, uh, you you bring in a lot of other white nationalists, and you start politically kind of taking over the area and and putting people in office that are kind of like, you know, you politically, uh, and that's kind of what what the PLE concept is. Um, and he came to be a part of that. He, he then at some point decided to go onto Twitter and threatened to shoot kids. Oh. Uh, he, I guess, went by a, a school uh, one, one time and saw all the kids playing in the backyard, went on Twitter and said, you know, I'm tired of the government taking all of our, uh, uh, keeping us poor, and uh, I, th I want to shoot those kids because of it. Which, first of all, his, his father is like one of the wealthiest uh, lawyers in Grand Rapids. So he, he, he skied every day, snowboarded every day, something I definitely couldn't do. Uh, but, uh, you know, he, he had money and he was still felt he was poor enough that he wanted to shoot kids for it. Uh, he also uh, threatened to shoot the kids of uh, Jonathan Hudson, who at the time was the uh, communication director of the Brady campaign. And uh, John hunted him down and uh, he was eventually arrested. And that was kind of my can, last Can run. I just stop you right there for a second? What's the Brady campaign sure. for those who don't know? Brady campaign, uh, I mean, I'm not exactly an expert on it, but it's, it's you know, uh, anti-gun violence and okay. and stuff like that. Uh, Brady was, uh, I mean. That was the, the the Brady bill, right? During the Clinton years, was it? When bill. they banned assault weapons or something? Yes, yeah, that, the yeah. Brady bill. Oh. Um, and uh, he uh, he hunted him down, found him. And I, by this time, this point, I had found out about it, and I was raging on Stormfront. I was, you know, just constantly going after people that were supporting it. And uh, Jonathan ended up um, messaging me out of the blue and uh, wanted to meet up. You know, again, somebody who worked uh, against guns was meeting somebody that he knew had guns, uh, as his wife warned him. Uh, and, I, you know, I said, sure, I, I'm always happy to meet up, uh, you know, I've it's not like I've never, you know, had friendly, uh, you know, spats with Antifa before. Yeah. Uh, and so I did. And basically, you know, uh, you know, became friends with us. I'm friends with him to this day. 
And uh, that was kind of my out was I, I just I, I got sick of the, the political violence of the right. Um, I have someone that wants to ask you um, if there's – the question is how, how do these various networks communicate with each other, these right-wing networks, and how do they form a cohesive community? And then he wanted to uh, just qualify that by saying apart from the online stuff. Like is there a way that, uh, that these groups communicate with each other kind of incognito so that they don't get, uh, they don't get caught or they don't get ensnared in some sort of entrapment or whatever? Uh, what I can say is I've been I've been out of the movement now since uh, 2016. So uh, obviously the internet and how things have gone have progressed since then. You know that was that was even you know I, I left like just before Trump became president. So things have wow. escalated quite a bit since then. Uh, but back back when I was involved in the movement, uh, there wasn't really anything cohesive. I, I mean, I, there really isn't anything cohesive now. When when you have a community that's built on nothing but fear and hate and uh, and, and insecurity, there's not going to ever be much insecurity. You know, uh, I'm I'm a heathen. I'm not a Christian, and there were a lot of white nationalists, obviously, that are Christian. In fact, the tradcasts seem to dominate these days. Uh, so there was always, you know, back and forth against between me and them, uh, you know, the Christian ones. And, uh, you know, it was it was always a, a group of people that was holding together by a piece of yarn wrapped around them. So if if let's say the you know, any group had gotten their ethno state, you know, back then or probably even now. That ethnostate would probably fall apart into infighting almost immediately because once once you get that taste of oh I'm gonna be free now, and then you notice that oh that person uh, may may have been on my side but he's different than me so I'm gonna fight him now and then it just yeah. the it just goes on and on and on and on and so I I don't think there even now I don't think there's anything really cohesive about uh, right wing extremism or in extremism in general. Uh, it's it's just, it is what it is. Sometimes it makes me feel like the right-wing extremism, like the, the Proud Boys stuff, um, you know, the, the shit that happens on January 6th or in Charlottesville is not intentionally. I don't think that, that, that it's this strategic, but it serves as a distraction from the things that are actually more important, which is sort of the Christian network alliance of people and groups that do things like um, uh, work tirelessly to get things like Roe v. Wade um, abolished, right? Like, like we, we, we keep on looking at the Proud Boys, we keep on looking at stuff like that, or at Stormfront or 8chan or whatever we're looking at. And we don't realize that there is this entire Christian network constantly working around the clock to get followers to keep pushing and keep pushing things like anti-gay stuff and anti-abortion stuff. And, uh, you know, it, it's it's almost, um, it, I mean, it, it's an asset to those Christian organizations that these crazy right-wingers exist because then the Christian organizations can sort of operate under, um, you know, under the radar. Is Am, am I am I correct about that? Or am I, I, I think of... you're pretty much correct. Uh, you know, it, as, as somebody that is known to be a bit of a loudmouth, I can definitely tell you that loudmouth clowns are the ones that get all the attention. And the ones that are not quite as loud tend to be 
you know, get, skate by. Uh, so, you know, I, I, I hope this, hope, hopefully I wasn't a clown when I was, when I was involved, but I was definitely loud and, I, and just like I'm loud now. I mean, you can you get someone like me and, and you, uh, and you give me a mic and even though I'm not, again, I'm not the best speaker in the world, I, you know, I, I can be pretty bullish and, uh, you know, if you look at people like uh, Nick Adams on uh, on Twitter or Matt uh, Walsh, you know they always think they're the alphas, and it's like, guys, you, you're you're just loud. That's all. You're loud. Plus, if you have Nick Adams is one of the, he's such a clown. Like if you, if you have to announce every other day that you're an alpha, you're probably not one, right? No, no, like, you're you're absolutely not one. And I'm not saying I'm an alpha either. I'm not. I don't. You know, I'm non-binary, so I I don't really subscribe to a gender even if i wanted to i'm i guess i'm i am male so i would be if i was alpha an alpha male but i'm not gonna ever say i'm alpha uh you know uh i think Karis one said real bad boys move in silence right and that's and and it's funny because um anytime i've ever gotten a death threat i realize that the person sending the threat is probably not someone i have to worry about you know pretty much uh you know i and that's one of the things that i've always uh, you know, hated is is the people that resorted to death threats because you know they they're they're just a they're a clown show that's you know yeah you, you know like Andrew England Andrew England has done a lot of these threats and it's in, in reality the, the the dude is is just an incel that you know nobody wants to be around even white nationalists don't want to be around him so yeah. most of these people uh, that try to be alphas don't live up to even beta you know they're omegas tell me about um your thoughts on the january 6th uprising because i know that um I, again i think it was from that same article from the tampa bay times where you said i i guess you were watching it on tv and you or something and you said oh i've had drinks with that guy oh i've met that guy or i know that guy from stormfront and this and that and and you kind of like it, it, did it help it sort of helped cement your transformation by watching that? I think you kind of blurred the t- that and Unite the Right together because Unite oh, the Right to get, Unite Unite the Right was where I knew a lot of the people. Uh, I'm I, I'm sure I knew many of the people at uh, Jan Sixth. Uh, if, if not personally, I knew knew a lot of them online. Uh, and of course, there were others that I knew from reputation, like you know Baked Baked Alaska and stuff like that. Uh, but, uh, you know, Unite the Right, I actually knew a lot of the people that were there. Uh, there was at least one former member of, of Pioneer Little Europe, Kalispell, that was, was there, Stan. Um, but, uh, but when it came to Jan 6th, when I was watching it, I, I, the only thing I could think, of, uh, think was, yeah, this seems like where everything was heading. And, I, I, you know, I was, I was still, I don't know if I should have been shocked. But I was still as shocked as a lot of people were. You know, it's there. It's one thing expecting uh, extremists to be extreme, but it's a it's a completely different story when you see them, you know, invade the Capitol building. And you know, I was sitting there with my aunt because uh, she was nice enough to uh, uh, to uh, kind of allow me to stay here when I uh, came down for school. Uh, uh, and. Uh, you know, I was I was sitting there watching it with my aunt, and it's it, it's just like was mind blowingly. It's like why? Uh, it, 
and then of course I saw the uh, you know the oath keepers doing their thing and you know I I was an oath keeper I never went out and did anything with them or anything like that but I was actually a member uh, and uh, it you know I, I it, it was it was definitely something that uh, I didn't necessarily see coming but probably should have. Um. I'm going to play devil's advocate here for a second and, and ask you a question that um, is intentionally hyperbolic, but I think you'll understand the point when, when I ask you, why should we believe you that you have changed your ways? I, I will say that I don't think anybody should necessarily believe me. They should, if they want to, if they want to see, they could just see the things that I do and stuff like that. I don't believe anybody should be believed ever. There are plenty of people that have stated that they've left the movement who didn't and uh you know uh an example of that jeff shope who used to lead the uh, nsm uh all i got is the things that i do uh the things that i say and people are definitely able to to judge for themselves um you know i try to be as much of an open book as possible you know if people ask me things i will honestly tell people almost anything uh, the only time I will ever tell people I can't answer that is if I don't know the answer. Uh, you know, so is it, is it, things... is it, is it when you, when you're in that sort of, um, transition, are there certain things that you might do where you don't necessarily like believe that you are a person that would do that, but you do it because you want to sort of not, not, not pull the wool over anyone's eyes, but you just want to make sure that everyone understands that you're not like you used to be. I'm thinking of things like, I'm not making fun of you, I swear to God. It's just that something that I would never personally do because of a, a bunch of reasons, but putting pronouns in your, in your bio. Like I would imagine that the old you would be like making fun of that. And does the new you now go, no, that is a very good way to express who you are. Or are you like, you know what, I'm going to do this as a signal so that people know I'm not like that. I'm, I'm non-binary, so I, I put it in there so people know they can use, I mean, technically speaking, people can use whatever pronouns for me, and I wouldn't really care. Uh, it's not like I've never called anybody and had somebody say, well, thank you, ma'am. Right. You know, it's like, whatever. Uh, but I put it in there because I am non-binary, so my pronouns are he, they, primarily he, but I accept they. Uh, and it and it's it's a good policy, uh, you know, uh, when it comes to, to work. You know, a, a lot of places that you work now, I was working for Providence uh, Hospital System up in uh, Everett, Washington uh, recently. And, uh, you know, they, they, a lot of people there, they put their, put their pronouns in their, in their work emails and stuff like that. It's just, it's just part of what people do these days. Uh, now I'm not saying everybody has to do it, um, but, you know, it's. I get it's, a little, I get a little put off when people ask me what my pronouns are. I, I, I know. just, you know, and, and again, th th this is one of those issues where it's like, someone hears me say that they probably make a whole bunch of assumptions about what I really think. And I'm just really like, I just, I, I don't really care what, uh, what anyone's pronouns are. I just, and it's not because I don't care about them or their identities or whatever. I, I have an issue with, uh, with trying to remember to call one person they, because I don't. I don't, I don't like when you say you're non-binary, we could have like a three hour discussion on it because I don't really under, I, I sometimes I describe it as, um, uh, as the emotional avatars of people are, we're now building rights around emotional avatars. 
and and, and that isn't even a like a, a, I'm not trying to be offensive. I just I don't really see the purpose of 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 the pronoun thing. And also uh, I don't rec- and also I don't recognize a whole bunch of stuff like Z and Zer. Like I I just simply do not recognize the existence of those because I don't think that they're real. Yeah. Right. I, I also so- understand that somebody like me uh, saying that I'm non-binary is probably uh, probably also confuses people a lot too. I mean, because I'm obviously masculine, <laughs> so it you know it's it 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 obviously it's something. The way I the way I look at it is, if somebody offers you their pronouns, you know, and you give a decent enough effort to remember what their pronouns are and say it, they're generally not going to have too many issues if you slip up. If you're somebody that your first reaction is, I don't care what your pronouns are. I'm, I'm just going to call you whatever I want to call you. That's, I mean, just well, like mine's any person. slightly different from that. What I would say is that if you told me that your pronouns were Z and Zer, I would just call you Scott. I would just Another option. You, like, all pronouns all yeah, together. And I'd be like, where is Scott? Scott is over there. You know, like. Nothing wrong with that. And if some, if somebody says that their pronouns are Z and Z, yeah, avoiding pronouns is is an easy way to deal with it. I mean, I mean, you don't have to, you know, tell them you're avoiding pronouns. Just avoid the pronouns. Uh, you don't even have to comment about it. Uh, if if uh, you know somebody's pronouns are they, and you know you accidentally slip up and say he, or, or you know, and it's somebody that's, uh, you know, obviously leans a little bit max, uh, masculine. I don't think they're going to pitch too many fits about it. Uh, I think what the what the problem ends up being is when you have some of these some of these people who, when 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 they just see pronouns and they, you know, and they just get all hysterical. Oh my gosh, there's pronouns! It's like yeah, it, it's it, it's just something that uh, a lot of people do now because it's considered, you know, it's it's a social type of thing. You you know. When when you're like in like in the work emails I was mentioning, if if you aren't too necessarily too sure, uh, you know, I don't I don't necessarily know what everybody is considering their pronouns uh, at work uh, that that I work with, uh, so it's good for them to tell me. Now, that's that's because these days there is a lot more trans people and there is a lot more you know, people that are gender fluid, non-binary, you know, I'm agender. So for me, it's, I just don't subscribe with gender. I, you know, I, I don't care about gender. I, you know, if somebody wants to call me a man these days, I don't really care either. Uh, if somebody wants to call me whatever, I don't really care either. Um, but it, you know, it, it, sometimes it pays to just try to, try to do something to not cause conflict even if it might annoy you a little bit um but i don't think I, i've ever I, confronted anyone about their pronouns though like that's a, like you know and I, I talking about it in an open forum like this is not something i actually do very often um you know i most of the time it's because people don't want to talk about it um you know they're, they're like oh james here we go again on the gender stuff i just have like um I have a need for evidence and I don't know how, like I had, I, I was talking to uh Morgane Ogre once and she's Oger, sorry, Morgane. Uh, I think uh, Morgane Oger. Anyway, she's a trans activist. She's a trans woman. She's a trans activist from Vancouver. And uh, she was talking about, we were talking about the, the, the idea that there are like dozens and dozens of genders. And 
that topic really frustrates me because, and, and I kind of explained it to her like this. I was like, can we get an app that tells us when a gender has been discovered and who discovered it and how they discovered it? Because I want to know why, where we are coming up with the evidence that these dozens of genders exist. Well, and she didn't have way. an answer for me. And it wasn't because I was trying to tell her that people aren't individuals and they're not how they say they are. I, I, I'm willing to accept everybody that. for what they say that they are. But I need to understand that it's grounded in something tangible. Like yeah, I want I to know where these genders come is. from and who names them. And no one can I, answer that question for me. So gender uh, is – so, all right. Uh, biological sex would obviously be biology. Gender is actually for, uh, something that is, comes in human development. Uh, yeah, uh, again, my, my degree is in public health, but when I actually went back to when, when I went back to school, human development was actually one of the things I was going for. So I started with early childhood development. Uh, I, I kind of I didn't go, continue down that path mainly because, first off, I didn't want to deal with kids. Uh, but, uh, at least you didn't you know, want to shoot them. That's good. Yeah. I mean, it, it was already weird enough that with the one class I had where I had to go, uh, sit behind a, a screen and watch a bunch of kids out there playing and write down everything they're doing and analyze it. And yeah, it just wasn't for me. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but that's what teachers in a lot of places have to go through. And one of the things that they teach about human development is gender is something that happens with human development. You, uh, gender roles are a human development issue. Uh, and, and, you know, some, some uh, other cultures, you know, obviously have other genders also. So it's, it, that's where, where these things are coming in. So the, really the best way to keep up with that sort of thing is to look at uh, human development related websites. Um, we've, we've definitely taken this conversation way off track, but, <laughs> oh, that's a, uh, yeah, listen, it's, it's, it's a way that is like, okay, for, but, but, but I mean, it's interesting. I'm, I'll get off this in a second. I'm actually going to let yeah, you go in the next it, five minutes. It's or all so. good. But we have, um, this is one of my favorite, uh, audience members, the saucy sea, witch. two genders is a patriarchy concept. Genders were not really a thing in other cultures. Indigenous had many spectrums, same as paganism. Their history was erased by the church. Now. I disagree completely with like the first two sentences almost entirely, right? And it's not because of any nefarious reason. I don't think that gender is a social construct. I think that society is a construct that developed because of genders. I think that I have a boy and a girl, okay? I, I feel like this idea that kids are really a blank slate and society just thrusts upon them what they're supposed to be for male or female, I think that's bullshit. I think that organically, I think that um, uh, uh, girls are, and boys are born. And if uh, the girl is, is, okay, I live in the sticks. My daughter has been raised in the sticks. We don't have cable, so she doesn't watch television commercials. I do not throw anything at her that's like, girls need to like pink and like princesses. I never do that. But she organically and naturally just gravitated towards that. And in my belief, it's because... A biological female is more likely to exhibit um, interests that are aligned with what we would call female gender. I don't think that society thrusted anything upon her. I think it happened naturally and organically. Same thing with my son. My son is more of a guy's guy than I am. My, my, my son has more of a macho side to him than I will ever have. He is like a guy through and through. He likes trucks. You know, he likes, you know, he, he, he likes the, to play fight. He likes to like horse around. 
And I don't think that society did that to him. I think that he was born a biological male and was naturally inclined because of his sex to follow a path that was sort of aligned with what his biology was. Saying that makes people crazy these days. They're like, they, they want to tell me that, no, 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 these two children that you have that I've never met, James, they only are interested in that because of what society did to them, not because they're naturally that way. And I'm just like, that's not true. Now, what if it wasn't society, though? And what if it was the influence from, you know, I'm, like you said, you didn't you didn't buy them any particular toys or anything. They chose it. But what if they were influenced not only by you, but they were influenced by media. They were influenced by their friends. They were influenced by other families, uh, you know, other members of the family. Uh, and, and, you know, so they're raised in this in this, you know, binary uh, household. They're going to end up a binary. Uh, so, uh, you know, if you ever notice that a lot of people that are a lot of a lot of kids that come, you know, come out as non-binary or, you know, trans, a lot of them come from households where maybe the, 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 the members of the family or the people that they, they play with, the kids that they play with, they're also, you know, uh, trans or non-binary or something like that. Uh, human development, your development comes from not just society, but also your, your community. If you go to church, you, the, your church influences you. If you go to, if you go to a school, your school influences you. Your your classmates influence you. Your teachers influence you. Uh, everybody influences you. So yes, if so, where the society comes in is uh, all of those teachers and everything like that are part of the society. Uh, that's 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 the take I would probably go with, mm-hmm. uh, rather than just society does it because. Society is what we make it. Also, it's 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 a social construct. Also, uh, but you know, human development is something that you know has been taught for a long time. This you know, teaching about the development of gender identity actually has been existed for a while. Okay. Um, okay. Well, I, I like having the good faith discussion. As someone said in the comments, I, it, it is a good faith discussion. I, I am not sitting here um, trying to trying to make controversy, but. Listen, I, I like the way the conversation evolved. Um, I really think you're interesting. You're a lot of you're a lot better at speaking than you, you give yourself credit for. Um, so, so I just want to throw that out there. Um, and you can come back anytime. I really appreciate your time. Scott Ernest, thank you so much for joining us tonight on Blackboard. It was my pleasure. It was nice meeting you. It was, uh, and I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. And I hope your kids are doing good too. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate that. Okay, Scott Ernest, thank you very much, buddy. Um, I have a little message for Paul Atkinson. Um, are you going to be broadcasting, Paul, on this uh, stream? Because I have a double header tonight at nine, and I didn't see anyone on the schedule, so um, we might have to talk about that. Or if you have a different stream that you can broadcast on, that would be awesome. But we might need to talk um, because at nine o'clock, the second half of the Black Belt double header is um, the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church had been embroiled in a legal case in Manitoba for the last two years, where they didn't want their identities um, known to the public. They, they essentially wanted a publication ban on the fact that the two schools that the Plymouth Brethren have in Manitoba had complained to the Human Rights Museum, which is the irony of all ironies, that they wanted the Human Rights Museum when their school kids came in to look around to cover up anything inside that museum that had anything to do with gay rights or LGBT rights which obviously is 
fucking stupid and homophobic. And for two years, they have been fighting so that to make sure that the public didn't know what the courage of their convictions were, which is awesome. And the lawyer for these two schools, um, former Stephen Harper attorney and former general counsel to the Conservative Party of Canada, Gerald Shapur. So this was a impromptu doubleheader and the uh, nine o'clock tonight, Richard Marsh, Carmen Drever, who, uh, if, in case you don't remember, is the grandchild of the former exalted high almighty leader of the Plymouth Brethren Christian Church, a guy named John Simington or Jim Simington, John Simington. I can't remember. Simington. And, uh, and she'll be on the show with Richard Marsh and, uh, and uh, Cheryl Hope. And we are going to talk about how, and this is breaking news. This just broke today. Um, th this organization is just honestly one of the most hateful organizations ever. They would definitely have members that are on Stormfront, um, as my guest tonight, Scott Ernest, uh, used to be the moderator of. By the way, Scott Ernest, um, I, I believe him. I mean, that guy seems solid. I, I don't know if you guys uh, felt the same way, but his uh, his personality seemed very authentic. He does legitimately seem earnest, if you will, about his transformation from white nationalist to a person that is no longer um, practicing that kind of vitriolic hatred. And so I really appreciate him coming on. I will totally have him back. And I'm going to uh, I'm going to brand this last segment eventually. Um, but I want to do sort of a Columbo thing with uh, with my shows now. Um, and I guess I'll call it something like just one more thing. And so I'm going to say that now. Just one more thing. There was a guest that was supposed to be on the show yesterday night at 9 p.m. She is what I would consider a brilliant artist. Um, she has done movie posters and official comic book covers for some of the biggest movies and comic books on the planet. Her name is Zizhu. And she, after accepting my invitation to come on Blackballed, she then declined uh, yesterday, um, a few hours. I guess it was like 10 hours or whatever before the show. And we had a little bit of a back and forth. She blocked me on Twitter. Um, nothing happened. We never had an argument or anything like that. But she blocked me because she, I guess, looked at my Spotify and saw Megan Murphy's name on, uh, on, on the list of one of my past guests and decided to use that as a springboard to block me and to, um, to not honor the commitment that she had made to come on the show. And I just want to let her know and everybody else know that I don't have any personal animosity towards you, despite disagreeing with the reason why you didn't come on the show. Obviously, I disagree with the idea of blocking a person that you never even had an argument with. Um, while I do find it um, reactionary and um, the implication that my show, just by existing or by interviewing Megan Murphy, that my show somehow harms people, I categorically reject out of hand. But I just wanted to say, just to sort of like bookend, um, you know, my uh, very small relationship with this person, that I still believe that she's a brilliant artist. And while I fundamentally disagree with her canceling and the reasons behind canceling, 
you cannot argue with this. Um, chosen by Keanu Reeves himself and to be part of the official artwork of John Wick 4, which comes out in March of 2024. And why am I doing this? Why am I saying any of this? I think it's really important for me to remain principled to the idea that I will talk to anyone uh, without having to be saddled with the idea that I co-sign their views or endorse their views. And despite disagreeing with Zizou's decision to not come on the show, I cannot in good conscience trash this person. Um, I disagree with her and that's it. I, I, I don't have any personal animosity toward her. And I still think she's a brilliant artist. Uh, if she decided that she wanted to come back, I wouldn't do that thing where I stiffen my upper lip and be like, no, you canceled it now, you can't come back. No, I'd have her back. Um, will I ask her to come back? No, I won't. She uh, she disinvited herself and, and that was her decision. Uh, but my door is always open for anybody that wants to talk to me that wants to uh, get me to clarify what my views are uh, or even explain why I would interview Megan Murphy or anybody else. I, I, I have to maintain that. There was a time where, where, where that cancellation would have set me off and I would have been very angry about it. But I, I, I prefer now to take a look at it uh, as more of a pragmatic view and, and just say to myself, I, since I cannot deny the reason that I wanted her on the show to begin with had everything to do with her artwork and nothing to do with her as a person because I didn't know her, that I will maintain that principle of wanting to talk to a brilliant artist, despite the fact that she uh, canceled her appearance on this show. So Zizou, if you are listening, maybe I'll make a clip of this and send it to you just to let you know there are no hard feelings. We just have an impasse that um, that I don't think I'm going to be uh, coming around on your side of that of that argument anytime in the future. Um, but uh, I, I, I just want to stress that it is important for me to to make sure that my principles are are held strong. I would interview anyone that I find compelling, and it remains that way. And so we will see you next time, 9 p.m. in about one hour on Black Ball. Thank you for joining us. Black everywhere the imagination dares it's for the open-minded the pleasure seeker it's jeff woods with the new podcast about relationships and sexuality theme-based with special guests the blue hotel hotline at every episode climaxes with an adult bedtime story get a room and listen in at the blue hotel Begins Friday, September 23rd.
Jeff Woods and I'm shining a light on music and the rock stars who make it. He just was one of those people, he, he stood out. He was a magic guy. He really was a magic guy. All, we all have force. He had the same amount of force as we all have. This was before Led Zeppelin. Robert was full on. I mean, he was Led Zeppelin without the band behind him. He had the hair, the jeans, the whole thing, you know. And he was amazing. The Records and Rockstars podcast, heard around the world and yours to hear wherever you get podcasts. All the episodes from jeffwoodsradio.com.